Hi, everyone. My name is Sambal Siddiqui, Mayor of Cambridge. And I'm Alana Mellon, Vice Mayor. And this is our podcast, Women Are Here. Here we are. 2021. I know. It's uh, January 15th. It's mid-January. I don't know how that happened. No idea. Uh, I think <laughs> we've, we've had a few things happen in the past week that have um, kind of shifted the national imagination and uh, attention how crazy was last Wednesday? Just, just like watching it all day. I was like, is this, is this happening? What? Really? I know I was, um, I was on some calls and just kind of, you know, like people were texting me like, oh, they broke down the barriers. And then I would look on Twitter and I'd see a photo of like people getting a little closer and then a little closer. And then finally I saw like a video of them breaching the, the door. And I was like, I have to, I have to stop being in this meeting right now. And I went downstairs and turned on CNN. It's just terrifying. It was terrifying. I have to say, and I, you know, I have two teenage kids and um, I, I wish that I had been better in that moment and not like <laughs> totally lost it. <laughs> so yeah. I think they were looking for me to be a little bit um, of a voice of reason, like, don't worry, kids. <laughs> Right. This is totally normal. <laughs> Don't worry, it'll all be fine. But I was just, it was really terrifying. And thinking about, you know, our legislators, who we know, and we work with, and, you know, we're friendly with, you know, I was thinking, like, we know people that are in that building right now. It's, that for me was really, there was like the two, the two things that were happening. One, that we were watching this total insurrection and something I never thought I would see. Um, and then two, actually knowing people inside and, and worrying for their safety. Yeah, and the images after, too, were so, uh, you know, that image of, like, the, the POC staff cleaning up, oh. Um, and, oh, all, you know, and on the backdrop of, you know, these historical Georgia wins, um, too. I know, I was um, talking to a reporter at the Harvard Crimson yesterday morning um, about, you know, January 6th, and um, he was like, you know, he's asking me where I was and the whole thing. And I said, the, the thing that was so weird for me is that just that morning we had woken up to like this incredibly amazing news. And we had like had five hours, right? Of like, just this blissful, wow. You know, we, we got these two Senate seats. Things are looking really up. We may be able to get some of our agenda through and help people and, you know, like it was so short-lived, unfortunately. And I think we all, um, you know, John Ossoff and Raphael Warnock, like they just just got the short shrift of <laughs> the national attention. We should have had a lot more time to celebrate those wins. Yeah, yeah. And so since then it's been, I, you know, I'm nervous about next week. Yeah. Um, I think we all are. Um, and <laughs> let's see, let's see what happens, but there's been so much this week too with impeachment and um, you know, all the things that are coming out with even members of Congress who've tested positive COVID. They're just the headlines these days. I'm like, what, you know, who knows? And you know, even then 10 years, five years from now, 20 years from now, like it's, this is quite, quite the time. Um, and it's hard to take in. It is hard to take in and understanding that, you know, I think historians will be studying this time for a long time, um, but it. I am looking forward to next Wednesday um, when Joe Biden and Kamala Harris take over. And I, you know, I was listening to them this morning talking about 
how to accelerate the vaccine rollout. It, it will be nice to have a functioning government, especially during a pandemic. I think, I know you and I both have been contacted by so many residents, so many concerned residents. People just wanna know about the plan for the vaccine. It's just like the most important thing for so many reasons. And um, just having a president that is prioritizing this is just such, it's gonna be such a welcome change, so. Yeah, I'm excited. <laughs> Yeah. I'm excited for some good news every now and then. I know. <laughs> yeah. I, know. I know. This has been, even 2021, it's just like, oh my gosh. I was just joking with somebody that today is like December 37th. It's oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So this, this week has been long. Some of the, some of the things that have come up, um, there was actually a fire that happened um, this week. Um, and we've, the city has been, working uh, very closely with those who have been impacted. Um, the cause of the fire has been determined to be an issue with the refrigerator. Um, and the oh, really? Of origin, yeah, most likely the compressor. Oh my gosh, okay. And, you know, we, um, we've, there was about 44 units that were in that, in that building, um, 30 so where, of- Where on Concord Avenue was it? 14 Concord Avenue. But we're in, I mean, Concord Avenue is so long. So 14 Concord Avenue um, is near, let me look at the cross street. I think it's like, it, it's it's kind of close to the Harvard, um, the, the, the Continental Gardens. It's very close. Oh, okay, okay. I was trying to figure Garden out where. Street and like. Yes, okay. Garden, like that. So very close, you know, to the square. Um, so of the 35 uh, residential units, like city staff made contact with 27 households. Um, there are 36 adults, there's one teen and one baby. The baby was really so cute. Um, of these 27 uh, households, 21 are staying at the Sheridan Commander. Um, and then six were staying with friends and family. The Red Cross was, you know, we set up kind of a situation room in in the commander. The, the staff of the commander have just been amazing. Um, so the Red Cross paying for households to stay at the hotel for three nights. Um, so that was like Wednesday night, um, the, the Thursday. It was the Tuesday night, the Thursday, and the um, and Thursday night. Um, and the Red Cross is also staffing was stopping an intake room at the hotel um, through through today with you know breakfast and lunch and dinner uh, and provided $500 per household. And then we provided um, funds from the mayor's disaster relief, uh, about $600 per person uh, for those who wanted it. Um, so right now it seems that um, residents right now were not going to be able to return today. We were hoping Friday they'd be able to return, um, but building management was on site this morning, um, you know, talking to residents and uh, more information hopefully will be shared later, but huge shout out to Maura Penzak and Sylvia, who just joined the city manager's housing liaison office, Brian Grover from Fire and Maria Mello. Um, I was with them most of the day on Wednesday and, um, you know, I think everyone, all the residents really appreciated. And, um, you know, this is unfortunately, we've had been having a lot of fires lately. Um, this is a bigger one in the recent past. 
Yeah, I, somebody was asking me if there were any affordable units in that building, and I, I didn't. Think no. Okay. No. Yeah. A lot of, the, a lot of condos, you know, it's condos, and oh, I see. Okay. some were, were rent, some were rental, some people were renting, um, but mostly it was owner occupied. But it does seem like people there wasn't enough damage where people won't be able to move back into their units. I think I, I think there's some units that were more affected than others. Okay. So I think we don't know what the timeline is and uh, I think hopefully today we get um, Dave from inspectional services you know talking to the residents as well so the good thing is never the the residents um, do have family friends they can stay with and those who don't the Sheridan is giving a 99 per night rate oh that's great that's great yeah I drove by um the other night the Sheridan commander and the Red Cross van was out front. So I know they've been there sort of around the clock helping families try to figure out what everybody needs to stay yeah. safe and comfortable. And um, we do have such a good plan for when um, there is a it's fire happened. because, you know, there, there have been so many. Um, it's just amazing to see how quickly everybody pulls together. And honestly, does Maura Pensock not sleep? Like, doesn't matter when a fire happens, she's just there. I don't, I don't know. We're so lucky to have her. Yeah, I mean, the Red Cross was we talked to them a bunch and they were like, this doesn't, this is not normal. Yeah, no, I don't think anywhere else to have all of you here. And we really appreciate it. I mean, it's a little bit like they were like, at first they're like, you know, who are these people? And then they're like, Oh my God, you guys have been so helpful. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Anyway. So that, that, that was, you know, that took a lot of attention um, and we'll uh, this week. So that was, but we had a Monday meeting. We did. And actually, I, I actually thought that Monday night's meeting, I had told my family, I'm like, I will be joining you for dinner because I thought we would be <laughs> 7.30. And um, it, it ended up to be a really long meeting. So um, one of the things we talked about a lot during our COVID update was um, vaccinations. It seems to be the number one thing that residents want to talk to us about. I can't tell you how many emails, how many phone calls, how many conversations I've had with people around what is the plan for vaccinations? What is the public health department doing? I think it's, you know, I think one of the things that people don't really understand about the city council is how much of residents' fears and anxieties get transferred to us. And then we then, you know, go to city council meetings on Monday nights and really try to answer those questions for them um, because we know how anxious and stressful this is for so many of our residents. So the Cambridge Public Health Department um, told us that they've they've begun implementing a multi-phase communication strategy to really talk about um, the vaccine and how effective and safe it is. It's really gonna be with the goal of increasing that community trust in the vaccine, especially among residents of color and the elderly residents. So this strategy will continue throughout the fall using different communications channels. So the public health department expects to get more uh, questions, lots of questions on the vaccine as we get closer to the mass distribution to the general public. So they're establishing a vaccine call center and staffing that right now. And as we approach the phase two of the Massachusetts vaccination schedule, um, you know, one of the things we really talked about was, uh, you know, vaccinating our teachers and our staff, um, because I think when you look at the, the conversations that are happening in the community right now, reopening schools, it really needs to be a priority. And so many women, the jobs report from December, I was referencing it Monday night, um, the United States lost 140,000 jobs in December. 
and they were all held by women and almost all of them women of color. So if you think about who has been bearing the brunt of remote learning, other than our teachers and our staff, it really has been um, a lot of moms, a lot of single parents who are really trying to keep on, hold on to their jobs while they are doing remote learning, um, help with their kids at, at home. It has been really, really hard for everyone. So one of the things I asked about on Monday night is what's the plan for our vaccinations, for our um, educators and our staff, just to know, um, I think, you know, when President Biden takes office next week, he has said that he will accelerate the rate of vaccinations, wants to, you know, vaccinate a hundred, uh, a million people by his hundredth day in, in office. So I think it's important for us to be ready. Um, and so we've asked the public health department to provide us with just a framework of what that plan might look like um, for staff, for, for, for different people in um, the phase two, part two priority list. Yeah, so many questions. And um, there was a Metro mayor's meeting this week and there are a few physicians and experts opining um, a lot around how the rollout here has actually been slower than other places. Mm -hmm. um, people are, are the public and residents are seeing that in the media and uh, rightly so have a lot of questions. Um, you know, it's finally starting, vaccination is finally starting to pick up, you know, nationally. Um, and, you know, there's been around like 9 million doses that have been um, administ administered, but we've learned that Massachusetts is about average in terms of administering doses um, and is overall behind on overall um, coverage. So the New York Times kind of has laid out um, that kind of analysis of, you know, state, state um, and who is, you know, who, who, who's, what's, who's doing what. Um, the, there's a new um, dashboard from DPH that um, is going, you know, it has, we'll have a vaccine summary and, and we'll, you know, we'll be updated. Um, but I think we, I am hopeful, hopefully this administration will have that give us, you know, more, um, more leadership on this front. And then municipalities can therefore, um, you know, be, be involved in, in, you know, the doing more. So, yeah, I mean, I did see the, I saw that some of the media that you're talking about that Massachusetts is the last is last in place by behind all the other New England states and in the country we're the 25th in the nation in terms of vaccine distribution and for a state that has given us the vaccine who has, you know, the, the envy of the nation in terms of, of hospitals and medical research, it is, it's really frustrating to look at Massachusetts and think that we are 25th in the nation. Yeah, it's been just like, what? What happened? What? <laughs> Come on, people. Right. We do have a testing update. The The city's continuing to offer free daily testing to all residents. Uh, and from January 2nd to January 10th, the city administered over 11,000 tests, putting us on track to set a new record for tests administrated uh, in a month. Um, COVID's, uh, Cambridge's COVID case count currently stands at uh, 3,617 cases, including... Uh, tragic 111 deaths in our community. We've lost two residents already in 2021 as COVID cases have increased by 30% in the two weeks following Christmas. Um, and the city is seeing an average of 29.5 cases per 100,000 and is um, still considered a yellow moderate risk community. 
23% of these cases are uh, currently active and CPHD is keeping a close eye on infections, trying to determine if this sharp increase in cases will can uh, in cases will continue to grow or return to a baseline as we get further away from the holidays. Yeah, I did see yesterday there was a um, over 50 cases, but um, in the previous couple of days, it seemed to be like in the 30s. So yeah. um, hopefully we're seeing a little bit of a level off. I know right. statewide, um, you know, the numbers have not been up in the 7,000s that they had been kind of post New Year's. Um, now they seem to be sort of the mid 5,000s. So mm -hmm. Hopefully we're not gonna see an incredible spike. I think the question really is, and I think you probably talked about this with your um, your Metro mayors this week about uh, the variant and whether or not that's here mm -hmm. in Massachusetts and what that, that will do to caseloads. Um, so that's sort of a, an unknown right now. Um, in terms of, speaking of vaccine updates, we had some good news, which was last week, this week, today is still Friday, um, the Cambridge Public Health Department worked to vaccinate all of our first responders um, in what we're calling Operation Nightingale. So Monday through Friday this week, we vaccinated all of our police, fire, and EMTs. They got their first dose um, this week, and so we'll follow up in two weeks and get that second dose. But it is exciting to, you know, to start seeing some of these priority groups um, get vaccinated. I've loved seeing all the pictures of, you know, firefighters, EMTs, police officers on Twitter um, getting those shots and just feeling like something is happening. So Operation Nightingale it had, was a success this week and um, I'm excited thanks to the public health department for making that happen. Yeah, that's, um, I think we have, we have a, I think when I look at the phases, we do have there's a lot of phases to, <laughs> and priority groups to grow. Uh, and I think people, the question we keep getting, some of what is being asked is like, I'm 75, when am I gonna get the vaccine? And who do I ask? And I've said to you know contact the primary, your primary care physician. And that as soon as the city has kind of a breakdown of who's next um, and what that structure will be, we'll, we'll communicate. But at this point, the Cambridge Public Health Department is waiting on kind yeah. of the guidelines. And what I, the questions, I mean, I'm getting, I, you must be inundated too. <laughs> the questions I'm really getting, like, for, you know, for example, this week, the food pantry workers and the food access folks, you know, who, are, who have been out there since March, you know, making sure that people had enough food to eat are saying, okay, so we are in phase two, part two. We fall under um, employees across the food, beverages, agriculture mm -hmm. and food service sectors. There's also food pantry workers. Like how, how will they need to show a pay stub? Um, how will they be contacted? You know, does their primary care physician know that they work for a food organization? So I think there's a lot of unknowns. I, you know, I, I think that people understand that obviously we're not in phase two, part two, but how will they be notified? Right. Where, where will they be vaccinated? In the town, the city that they yeah. live in or work in, will they have to show a pay stub? Will they have to drive to Gillette Stadium? So I know that the, the state has been a little slow, very slow in getting guidance out, but I think just answering some of these questions around mm -hmm. like the real logistics of like, will you should have to show a pay stub? How will you know that? Like, will your doctor, obviously if you're over 75, your primary, it's, that's very easy, right? Like it says right on your, all of your forms, but in terms of whether or not you're a meat packer 
or a convenience store worker or a funeral director, like some of these categories that are in phase two, part two, I just don't know how you would get contacted. And I think that's where a lot of the confusion is lying right, right now. And is it happening at the same time? You know, it's just- Right. Is there prioritization within those subgroups? Yeah, I think just having any kind of guidance on that, even saying like, we just don't know, <laughs> like right now we just don't know. Um, is the over communicating I think at this point is like the the way it needs to be yeah so um, the there's a lot that's happening with schools um, and on, <laughs> you don't say <laughs> right uh, yeah on Tuesday January 12th um, superintendent Salim announced his resignation which is affected by the which is effective at the end of the school year on June 30th. 2021. So that I think was news to, you know, a lot of people. And, you know, he has alluded to the stresses on his family and and so forth. And, um, you know, this does mean we have some work as a school committee and a district to do around the next, uh, the search process for the next superintendent. Uh, And we're I'm yawning because I talk about schools and I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> Making you tired thinking about it. <laughs> oh my God, I'm exhausted. Uh, so you've been involved in a search before and uh, on the superintendent side. And this is this is going to be challenging. But I, you know, as soon as I have information about what exactly that we're, we're doing, I'll, I'll definitely share. Yeah, I, I was actually involved in the search that um, helped us to hire Kenny and you know, that was a quick search because they wanted, the school committee wanted to do it um, prior to, it was an election year. So we had to get it done and hire somebody by October. And um, it was like a seven month search and it was a quick one, right? And so, you know, thinking about the fact that this is another seven month search for a superintendent, I, you know, obviously lots of things will be on the table at this point, but to do a good search, you need you need a thoughtful process and you need community input. And um, I'm not sure people really have the bandwidth right now um, to really yeah. do that. So, and obviously we need somebody to lead our school department. So I, I'll be looking forward to some updates from you on that. And I'm sure mm-hmm. the rest of the community will be as well. Yeah, yeah. We, we had a special meeting on Tuesday as well that night where Dr. Shaleen presented a revised timeline for the expansion of in-person learning. Uh, we heard from you know, quite a number of principals who are requesting more time um, in planning. And so right now the recommended date for expansion has been, the, the recommendation is to postpone to March 1st instead of February 8th due to several factors um, that were raised, whether it was, um, you know, just really the more time for staff planning to address complex issues of scheduling and staffing um, you know, acknowledging possible post-February break surges due to travel and exposure. Um, you know, this extended timeline includes February break. And so the extension is only two school weeks with, you know, eight possible in-person days. And so um, there were a lot of things that these principals shared um, around considerations for the school committee um, to, 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 you know, to, to allow for the, the additional time. We did resume in-person learning on Monday for the students who are already participating with in-person learning prior to December 30th. Uh, And so, you know, that I think has been going well so far. Um, But there's 
so much more I can say on around this. There's a lot of moving pieces. The city, the school committee is meeting again on Tuesday. Um, to, and we had a meeting actually last night on the budget, uh, you know, which was like, you know, it, it, it's, it's like all the stuff layered under COVID, you know? Right, right, um, right. So um, we will be, the, the goal is to take Dr. Salim's recommendation up on Tuesday. Um, so I have to tell you that, um, thank you for, thanks to you and the school committee for really listening to the, the, the voices of our principals and extending that date from February 8th to March 1st. I was able to attend, both of my kids had, um, you know, returned to school uh, Zoom meetings with our principals and um, my daughter goes to an upper school and, you know, her principal was really talking about the amount of time that it's going to take to put this schedule together, which you don't really think about, but there's a lot of moving parts and he showed us exactly where and how and why the schedule is going to be put together. And it, it's, it seems like a, a monumental task. Um, and then that using those additional weeks will help the custodians, especially over break, put together the, the rooms in the way that they need to be put together with the distancing. And so it really made a lot of sense. And it seemed to me that um, the principals were very happy to have that additional time and grateful that they were gonna be able to build in that schedule. I mean, I gotta give it to um, my daughter's upper school principal. I think he did an amazing job walking a really fine line of um, talking about going back to school, talking about the challenges of you know, whether to return to school or not and what, you know, in-person school will look like versus remote school. And, um, you know, he fielded a lot of questions with grace and humor and um, some really real stories about his own life. I mean, he has a, he has two children in the Cambridge Public School Department too. And one of them, it goes to his school. So, um, you know, a, a lot of these principals, you don't think of them as parents of their own kids that are experiencing remote learning too. And, um, you know, they have a really tough job right now. And I'm, I'm, of course, our teachers and staff are doing an incredible job um, relearning their jobs. And I, my heart goes out to them each and every day. I watch, you know, my, both of my kids in their remote schools and I don't know how these teachers are doing it. Um, but I think that addition, I guess all I wanted to say was that additional time, I think was a real breathing space for, for the, the administration and staff. So I'm glad that happened. Yeah, well, we're, we haven't voted on it yet, but I think uh, you know, that vote is on Tuesday for- Oh, I see, I thought that already got voted. Okay. No, no. We Anyways, have well, shout out. I hope you do vote. <laughs> <laughs> is this an open no. meeting law violation? <laughs> um, so yeah, we, uh, yeah, well, I'll have some more news to report in the next uh, podcast. I did want to say the states extended the deadline for students to receive their required flu vaccine you know, unless there's a religious or medical exemption provided um, to February 28th, 2021. And CPS students between the ages of 12 to 22 can receive a flu shot at the Dean Health Center at CRLS. Okay, great. Um, we just have some other things that we talked about on Monday night in terms of policy orders. And the first one was a question, a policy order that was put forward by the two finance co-chairs, Councilors Carlone and Simmons around our free cash policy. This is a really interesting topic if you um, <laughs> if you are interested in what happens with your tax dollars that don't get used every year. So every year um, there are tax dollars that don't get used, they get put into a fund, a free cash fund. And this is where, you know, in general, the city will, will spend capital improvements, other 
you know, things that you can't normally do through the budget, uh, things that kind of come up, those come out of free cash. We have, since the beginning of this pandemic, you, myself, um, have been asking a lot of questions about free cash and whether or not it can be used to just give to people, give to small businesses, give to restaurants, um, give to nonprofits. You know, and the answer that we have gotten from the law department and from the city manager has been, no, you cannot do this. It is um, against state regulations. It goes against the anti-aid amendment. Um, and it has been a really, I think I will speak for myself. It's been a really frustrating conversation to know that we have had hundreds of millions of dollars in the bank. And you know, we've had to come up with some really creative solutions to help um, serve our community during this time, whether it was through you working with the mayor's disaster relief fund uh, and raising $5 million, uh, you know, yourself and a, a, a few other advisors, you know, dipping into the community benefits money for our nonprofit sector, um, looking at CDBG money, which is federal money, the CARES Act money. I mean, I think we have done an incredible job and the city has done a really good job of trying to figure out where those pockets of money can come from, but it has been enormously frustrating. So Councillors Simmons and Carlone really wanted to know you know, the state and federal governments can just give money to people where, where they were looking for was a legal opinion of why we can't do it as a city. So their policy order was put in and then I, I had um, put forward some friendly amendments, which was basically, I've been asking this question since March. You've been asking this question since March. I didn't want to get a legal opinion that was just going to be the same frustrating lack of um, clarity around this. So I um, put forward some amendments that would ask um, that we asked for any advisory from the state of Massachusetts Department of Revenue that would outline restrictions that prohibit the city of Cambridge from allocating direct financial assistance to residents, nonprofit agencies, and or small businesses, and that the city manager and his staff um, provide our existing free cash policy for city council review and discussion. And if a, such a policy doesn't exist, you know, if there isn't one written down, that the city manager and his staff prepare um, a request to the state of Massachusetts Department of Revenue to issue what's called an IGR and an informational guideline release that allows for a more robust parameters on eligible expenses from free cash to directly assist residents, small businesses, and nonprofit organizations during this time because. I think we need some better guidance um, from the state. And I think the state needs to really look at free cash during this time that cities might have and say, you can use it in different ways. So for example, Somerville this summer announced that they were taking uh, half a million dollars of their free cash and giving it to artists, arts organizations and small businesses. And at that time I had asked, you know, how can they be doing that? How can Somerville be doing that? And we can't, and I've never really gotten a great answer um, about that. So I think it's important for us to have this, to have this conversation, um, but I really wanted it to be, I wanted the policy order to really ask about what from the state is stopping us rather than asking the city solicitor. Um, to tell us, right, because we already know. <laughs> from right, her. and that was my point on Monday, like, we know what she's going to say, so why don't we look at this from a different perspective and see if um, there is something else we can do. So that was, that was one of the things that we talked about. Um, and then one of the things that got a lot of attention was um, policy order um, that 
I was a co-sponsor of, along with um, Councillor Serena Wheeler, Councillor Zondervan, and Councillor McGovern um, about, you know, asking the MBTA to reconsider uh, bench design um, that was installed at, you know, Cambridge T stations that, you know, is historically this type of what it's considered, um, you know, hostile architecture, which right. unintentionally or intentionally to make public spaces unwelcoming to homeless um, in residents or unhoused community. So, you know, we, we did say that the, this is, you know, we don't have the authority, but we're going on record to ask the MBTA to reconsider um, this con con configuration um, of bars on benches. And, you know, it was interesting, the public comment, you know, it became a larger issue around what the city is doing or not doing um, for our unhoused community. Uh, we also had a committee report that was under, uh, you know, was under dis discussion that the Human Services Committee chaired by Councilor McGovern had had. And so it all came under that umbrella. And so, it, it, you know, it was quite a lot of um, public comment around that. Yeah, and the thing that was interesting was the bench bars, if you've seen them, they're in the um, Central and the Harvard Square T-Station. The MBTA, you know, they, they originally had said, you know, it was something that had been asked for by the disabled and the elderly community that, you know, the benches didn't have, you know, traditional benches on either side will have a, a handrail so you can use it to get yourself up um, if you have trouble, you know, going from a sitting position to a standing position. And, <clears throat> I, I think that there has been significant enough blowback around the hostile architecture and the way that in which that it's uh, affecting homeless residents that they are willing to relook at this. And I think, mm -hmm. you know, that's where Councillor Sabrina Wheeler and yourself and a couple of other councillors have really reached out to the MBTA to say, what can we do? Um, knowing that there are these disability needs or these needs for elderly residents that need to be addressed, but certainly <laughs> the way that it looks right now in the middle of a pandemic when people have nowhere to go homeless residents unhoused residents really don't have anywhere to go um it's not a great look mbta so i was glad that you guys put that forward and i was happy to support it on monday night however did did it get charter written or no no it did not get charter written something, some, else did. something else did and i some can't remember <laughs> Um, yeah, I think there was another policy order that had come out of the committee report asking for the city to look into whether or not we could use the New England School of English dorms for our unhoused population, which in the interim between that committee uh, meeting and last night or Monday night's meeting that had already happened and was done and Councillor Zondervan had suggested that we amend that policy order to say, could we look into other opportunities like that. And Councillor Simmons exercised her charter right at that time to right. give a little bit more time to work on the verbiage and language yeah. there. So that, okay. So another thing that we talked about on Monday night, which was um, a rare opportunity to talk about good news is that the, um, a store called The Daily Table is gonna be opening in Central Square next Friday. So if you don't know about The Daily Table, it is a low cost grocery store. The first one opened in Dorchester um, and was started by the ex-CEO of Trader Joe's, uh, Doug Rao. And 
this has been sort of a passion project of his for a long time. And I remember five years ago going to Dorchester uh, to visit the store and meet with Doug um, and try to convince him to bring this idea and this concept to Central Square, to Cambridge. Uh, and at that time they were not, it was not, Cambridge was not an area that they were looking into. And, uh, you know, it just is a true testament to the amount of work and time that was spent over the intervening five years um, by myself, by uh, definitely, you know, members and the executive director at Food for Free, who has been sort of relentless about this, but also um, the executive director of the Business Improvement District in Central Square, Michael Monestein, who has been working uh, night and day to make this happen, and Michael Simon, who's the property owner, who quite honestly um, probably could have found somebody who was willing to pay more per square foot, but really understood and appreciated that Central Square needed a low-cost co low grocery store like this. I, you're going to be so surprised. It's it's such an amazing concept and it's something that has been so missing and needing in this particular neighborhood and the you know the center of our city for so long and um i'm i'm so excited there's a, a socially distanced ribbon cutting next friday and we so we can talk about it more then but that will be opening next friday you have to become a member it's free to join it's just for them to track um you know how often people come in and 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 how much they spend it's yeah, it's an amazing concept. I've been reading yeah. about them for a long time. And, um, you know, a lot of people are involved in this. And they're a nonprofit community grocer, which right. is like, you don't really hear about that often. And this is the space that's at where the Central Square A, 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 ABP, Avonpain used to be. Yeah, right um, on the corner of Mass Ave and Prospect slash Western. So it's not a huge yeah. space, but... um. And neither is the one in Dorchester. So uh, I'm really excited about that opening. So look for that. We will talk about that a little bit more. Um, the last thing that we really talked about on Monday night was a housing update. So this past week, the city began accepting new applications for the COVID-19 housing stabilization program. Uh, this program offers short-term financial assistance to residents who are experiencing housing instability due to the economic impacts of COVID-19. New applicants who meet the eligibility requirements can receive up to six months of assistance. And um, if you wanna learn more about that program, you can log on to cambridgema.gov slash COVID-19 slash housing fund. So that's really exciting that um, again, I think you got very creative um, in looking for funds to ensure that our residents who are experiencing trouble paying their rent have a fund and an opportunity for the city to be able to step in and help. Yeah, so definitely people, please uh, please continue um, applying. What else is there? There's um, MLK Day of Service on Monday. Yes, it's so happening. very, very different this year. Um, it is going to be virtual. Normally we all gather together uh, at City Hall, at the, YM, at the YMCA across the street, at the Citywide Senior Center, we make Valentines, we put together, um, you know, emergency room packets for children, we make- There's like a big gifts. thing at the church. Yeah, and scars, there's like a, a we celebrate and commemorate the life uh, of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Um, unfortunately, we're not gonna be able to do that this year, although there have been, um, many of those have moved online. So you can check out manyhelpinghands.org for um, a lot of the event type opportunities. 
and um, certainly there's a big uh, there's a, there, there's a, the agenda still being worked on, oh. but if you do right now, um, there at two p.m. on Monday there's an MLK Day welcome gathering, an act of remembrance, and I'll be making some remarks, uh, and then throughout the day there's a lot of things um, happening. There's also a neighborhood um, food drive uh, happening as well. So a lot yeah. of those details are in flux, so we will share them. So our, our youth council, the Cambridge Youth Council is putting together a virtual food drive this year, um, which we will have more information on soon, but they're working with the Cambridge Community Foundation um, to help collect donations. Normally every year, you and I drive around um, Cambridge Youth Council members and high school students to drop off uh, grocery bags on uh, residents who live in West Cambridge to fill those up and we um, then pick up the bags on Monday, Martin Luther King Day, and all of that food gets brought to City Hall and is sorted and sent out to our food pantry network. Unfortunately, of course, this year we cannot do that. Uh, but the Youth Council has really taken this project on and, and decided to do it in a virtual way. And I'm really excited because they have um, they've come up with a great plan and it's kicking off on Monday. So keep an eye out for that. You'll be able to donate right online and support our young people. The Cambridge Community Foundation, I hope I can say this, um, is going to be matching donations that people make. So they're really doing an amazing job uh, in our community, our youth council, and are supported, thankfully, by the Cambridge Community Foundation. Thanks, Gita and people. <laughs> Go youth council. Um, what else, what else? So we, um, you know, the Cambridge Public Library and city leadership have been working to bring books to our youngest community members and their families. Uh, so this week, in collaboration with my office, we delivered boxes of books um, for various age groups, babies, preschool, elementary school, middle school, um, to 364 Renjav, 362 Renjav, and for 402 families. Uh, and so there's a pro broader project underway to bring um, books to other um, housing developments and other sites um, for, you know, safe contactless drop-offs of library books for families to um, access. So that was fun to, to go over there yesterday and bring those books. I wanted to kind of read one of them. Um, it's like your second time giving away books at um, 362 and 364 range. Yeah, a lot of book giveaways. You've been there with me too. So <laughs> it's it, good. Um, we, I wanted to also just mention that the Frost Harris Affordable Rental Units application is deadline is extended to February 12th um, in case you know people have been asking about that. Yeah, they have gotten a lot of um, interest in applications for these, I think it's 44 units right on Mass Ave in Porter Square. I toured them um, about a month ago and they are beautiful, beautiful, yeah. beautiful. So um, if you haven't applied for this amazing affordable housing opportunity, um, you can go online and do that until February 12th and you can check the income limits and see if you're eligible. Um, and then the last thing is a temporary off-leash off dog park is opening as part of a partnership between the city and the CRA, the Cambridge Redevelopment Authority. A temporary off-leash dog park um, opened on January 11th at the CRA's 3rd and Binney Street Civic Space at 174 Binney. 
it will be open from dawn to dusk through fall 2021. That's going to be a welcome um, addition to that neighborhood that does not currently have uh, a whole lot of open space uh, and places for dogs to run off leash. So that's very exciting. And then uh, I think lastly, we have a policy order that you put in on Monday night around the National Day of Mourning. Yeah, this is, um, you know, in advance of the inauguration, you know, that Biden and Harris administration are planning a lot of um, pre-inauguration activities. Um, and one of them is to, you know, light up city monuments and city halls across the country um, in commemoration um, of the many deaths that we're seeing um, of COVID and have seen and thinking about um, all of those who have been affected. So our city hall will be lit up um, on Tuesday at 530 uh, in white. So do look out for that and, you know, please, you know, keep everyone who has lost a loved one, um, uh, you know, in, in your thoughts um, and keep, you know, really please keep practicing social distancing. Our residents have been amazing, um, so but it's just, it's still a very, it's a challenging time right now and whatever we can do, um, you know, to keep each other space, it's safe is, is really critical right now as we get through this. That's right. And everyone, please get tested go as often as you want. We have seven days a week testing. You can go right online to cambridgema.gov slash COVID-19 slash testing. And um, you, know, you don't need an appointment to go, although they are recommending it. I will say that I have gone, I'm, I've gone every week since I wanna say October. I've only waited more than five minutes right before Christmas, right before New Year's and right before Thanksgiving. Um, but this week and last week have been easy breezy in and out. Um, so don't feel like you can't go or if you see that there's no appointments not to go, um, please go get tested. Just have that peace of mind and make sure that, you know, a lot of people are asymptomatic and um, are spreading COVID-19. So make sure you're not and uh, get tested, get tested as often yeah. as possible and let people know, you know, that it's safe, it's easy, it's accessible uh, and available. Because I think as much as we like to say that um, everybody knows about this, it's, you know, I still often run into people who are like, oh, I, I drove to, you know, this place in Waltham or right. <laughs> Bill Ricca. And I'm like, you know, we have testing every day. It's free, you can go. So. Um, you know, spread the word, let people know, but definitely go get tested yourself. Go get tested. Hope everyone has a great um, long weekend, you know, on and celebrate MLK on Monday and, and um, join on the city's activities. Definitely. Definitely. And if you guys, if anybody has questions for us, you can tweet at us. I'm at A-M-M-A-L-L-O-N. And I'm at um, Mayor Siddiqui, I think. <laughs> What day is it? I'm about to go to sleep. <laughs> what, what year is it? It's 2021. So thank you for joining us. Thank you for being here. We're so appreciative that you join us each and every week or two weeks that we do this um, and definitely reach out if you need anything at all. We are always here. Uh, I know this year has been so hard for everyone, but we really want to let people know that no matter what you've got going on, please reach out to us anytime. We're happy to help.
Yeah, All right, yeah. everybody. Have a safe, ha happy, and healthy long weekend, and we will see you soon. Take Bye. care.